All right. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. This not intentional that you're in the dark here. So let there be some light over there. Um, good to be with you, kids. You are welcome to go with uh, Pastor Debbie um, out to Children's Church. And while they do that, why don't we pray for them and open up to John 6, uh, verses 24 to 35. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of children, for the ways that you have um, called us into faithfulness and service through their lives. God, we pray that um, we pray that you would bless Pastor Debbie, pray that you would give her the words to speak and to call them into a life of faithfulness and hope in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you came hoping that you would um, hear the rousing conclusion to last week's Old Testament reading, um, I'm, I'm sorry, we did not finish <laughs> David's journey with Bathsheba this week, uh, but you can go read that in 2 Samuel 11 um, if you want to complete that. But today, John 6, verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him... God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to, to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, well, Pastor Cody... Uh, kind of led us so beautifully um, into the beginning of this um, reflection on, on John 6 last week. And I'm just, I was sort of struck by that image of Folsom Lake being down to where all of the docks are just sitting on the bare ground, right? Um, and his mention as he, as he talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000, breaking the bread, breaking the fish, and distributing it to all of these 5,000 plus people, um, that would be out there on the mountainside after he had healed them, right? I mean, that's part of what's so wonderful about that passage. They've all come, they've been healed, and it's then after the healing that he feeds. Um, it's after the ministry that he gives them the bread that they did not expect. They didn't come for the bread, they didn't know about the bread, uh, but Jesus meets that need because he sees it. And then in the sort of the interim, in between, you, Jesus pulls back, Oftentimes, after a, a period of intense 
ministry, Jesus does exactly that. He pulls back from the crowds and he goes and he prays and he sends the disciples across the lake. And then this is the whole walking on the water because they're out and the, the waves are going and he's got to get to them, right? He's got to get to them to keep them safe. And so he walks out into the water and it says as soon as he gets into the boat, immediately they were at the other shore. What that means, I don't know, maybe another time. <laughs> but today, we see what happens as the sun comes up. And the crowds realize Jesus didn't leave with the disciples, and yet he's not here, so where is he? And I love the way John puts it. It says that they all kind of like get in their own boats and go trucking off across the lake. I just have this like vision of this ragtag armada, um, you know, people with like using laundry or something to catch the wind and get across the lake. There's all these 5,000 people. The way he tells it, it sounds like the whole crowd. These 5,000 plus people are now sailing across the lake. I don't know where all the boats came from. And they're looking for Jesus. Where is this guy who just healed us, who just fed us? We're going to track him down. In the midst of their kind of anxiety, in the midst of their fear, in their midst of not knowing what to do with the situations in their life, all of a sudden the source, the guy who's been healing and feeding them is gone. And we know that. <laughs> we know what it's like to have pandemic anxieties. You know, family anxieties, money anxieties. And, um, if all that's in place, then we start worrying about how the church is losing its place in the culture. Our minds are really, really good at finding something to be fearful of. Really good at finding something to fear. Even in Eden, even back in the Garden of Eden, at the very beginning, God puts these people, He creates humanity, He creates Adam, and puts Adam in the garden, and gives him everything he needs, all of the, he meets all of Adam's earthly needs. He gives him food to eat, and water to drink, there's four rivers running out. I mean, if you get tired of one river, you just move on to the next river if you need to drink. There's never rain in Eden. And then God looks and says, well, that's, I mean, all of this is beautiful, but he's alone. I got to meet Nat need. And so he sort of takes Adam and he puts him to sleep and he gives him Eve. And it's like, all right, great. Now there's the human community. Right? But even there in that place, humanity finds something to fear. Humanity finds something to be anxious about and to worry about even when every single one of their needs is met. God gives them a purpose there. In fact, while they're in Eden, what he tells them is, I want you to worship me, right? That's kind of the core. We, we often don't think about it, and I could go into it if you wanted to, but Eden in, in the Bible is actually depicted as a sort of temple, temple that God builds to himself. And right at the center of that temple is what? These two trees, right? And he gives them, he gives them a commandment. So they got something to do. 
They got a commandment to obey. They even have a job to do to take care of the garden, to administer it, to look after it. And he gives them this command, be fruitful and multiply. You'd think that would keep them busy, but apparently it doesn't. They're meant to participate in developing the world that God wants to develop. He gives them worship. He gives them this worshiping society, and then he says, tend and take care of this place. But even there, what's the temptation that comes out? What does the serpent say? Did God re- this is Genesis 3. Did God really say you can't eat from this tree? He plants this seed of doubt in God's goodness, but he plants this seed of worry. Right? God's holding out on me. I'm missing out on something really good. That tree looks great. Art just brought some fruit to church this morning. It's like, (laughs) can't wait for church to be over so I can dig into some grapes, you know? (laughs) That, That fruit looks good. And God said, I can't eat it? Who is this God anyway? What does he know? Right? All the serpent does is plant this doubt and begin to allow this fear, this anxiety to take root. Begins to let that do its work. John 6 is all about bread. Jesus multiplies the bread. He feeds people with bread. And then we're going to talk when they encounter him. You saw the beginning of it. This is a long chapter. We're going to spend four more weeks on it. It's this whole conversation about how I am the bread of life. And I was looking this week. The first time bread ever gets mentioned in the Bible is after Adam and Eve reach out and they take the fruit they're not meant to take yet. I'll get to that. They reach out and they take the fruit they're not meant to take, and they're receiving the curse because they've disobeyed God's actions. And what does God say? You will eat the bread of the ground by the sweat of your brow. Bread, in its first mention in Scripture, is connected to labor. It's connected to difficulty. This is the part of the curse that gets directed to Adam in particular. Your work will be more fruitless than it should be. You'll be spinning your wheels. Women get to deal with child pains, and that's kind of rough. But, but men, man, we have futility to deal with, and that's, you should feel sorry for us. Um. <laughs> so here's the world. <laughs> here's the world that God gives them. Cult, culture, and cultivation. Okay, if you don't like the letter C, I'll give you the letter F. Okay, ready? Here we go. These, <laughs> he gives them faith and family and function. Okay? He gives them somebody or something to worship. He gives them a way to worship. He puts them in this God-made temple. And he gives them a rule to follow so that they can be close to them. He gives them a job to do so that they can be close to him. All they have to do is deny themselves and not yet eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But God, remember, put two trees in the middle of the garden. He put two trees there. And what's the tree that they don't eat? The tree of life. So he gives them faith. He gives them family. 
a culture together, something they're supposed to do together to multiply and fill the earth. And he gives them a function. He gives them a job. He gives them something to cultivate, work to do, to tend the garden, to care for it, to make it better. And yet each of these three things we use, even though they're given to us by God, we use them as a source of our anxiety and our fear. Our faith, I'm going to become so anxious about my faith that the people who are leading our church are not doing it right. Maybe this is particular to me. I'm not talking about myself. I'm doing it perfectly. But the people who are above me, I can tell you some things, right? We get anxious about who's running our faith and the way that we see the world responding to our faith, right? Things are not going to go well. The church is not going to outlast this generation. So I got to work, 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 work. And I'm working out of anxiety and I'm working out of fear and I'm working out of this kind of hyper need rather than the trust that this was never my faith to begin with. This was always God's faith. We get anxious about our family, like are our kids actually going to take on this faith? Are our kids going to do well? They just, they got that C in math and that's going to be the end of life, right? We pour so much anxiety into our family. Or our person. Is my work actually giving me the meaning that I need in life? Is it providing me the direction and the purpose? Is it fulfilling? I don't want to feel like I have to go to work on Monday. But I don't want to feel like I got nowhere to go on Monday. Right? I need this like Goldilocks sort of perfect middle. And if I don't have that perfect middle, then I get anxious and I start looking for something else and I'm on... LinkedIn, and I'm checking out what's out there. We live with this kind of anxiety, and this is exactly what the crowds come to do. They come to Jesus to ease their anxiety. Where's the one who gave us bread? But when they track Jesus down, and they demand the sign, he refuses. They get in their boats and they sail across the lake and they go find him. We might call that faith. They go seek Jesus. They go look for him. But when they find him on the other side of that lake and they say, Jesus, give us a sign. And here's a suggestion of what that sign should be. Moses gave those people manna in the wilderness. We will take our frosted flakes now. Jesus says, no. I'm not a vending machine. I'll provide your need, but this isn't you show up to me and you push the button and I give you exactly what you ask. That's not how this relationship works. I'm your Lord, right? I'm not your servant. Jesus instead invites them internal life. In that moment, Jesus invites them into something else. All they want is bread. All they want is to be fed. And Jesus, this is remarkably similar to chapter 4. This is remarkably similar to the woman at the well who just wants some water. And Jesus says, you think you're thirsty? I've got water that never runs out. 
You think you want water out of that well. I am the living water. You think you want bread. You think you want me to do that trick again. No, that was a sign to show you that I am the bread of life. And that if you will come and eat of me, then you'll have the thing that you really long for. You'll have the thing that you really lack. That you're really hungry for. The thing that is even underneath your anxiety. There's more for you. If we go back to Eden, and I'm sorry I'm jumping around too much here. But our anxiety and distrust of God's goodness, that's what happened in Eden. Right? I'm convinced that God put both of those trees in the garden for a reason. And that eventually, the goal was to lead Adam and Eve, to lead humanity to be able to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But it needed to happen in the right order. It needed to happen at the right time. And the fact that they reached out and they took knowledge before life. Do you see the distinction there? They, reached, they wanted to take the knowledge of good and evil the knowledge of what was right. They wanted to have that knowledge. They wanted to have that power. They wanted to have that control more than they wanted life with God. More than they wanted to just be with Him. And so often that's how we are. We want to know about God. We want to know about Jesus. We want to be able to answer all the Bible quizzing questions. We want to have all the trivia down and have read all the theology books. We want to be able to answer all of people's problems and give them something to fix it with, but we don't just want to be with Him. We don't just want to live life with Him. To be able to hear His voice, to be able to discern what it is to be close to Him. And I'm... I'm convinced that until we want to be with Jesus, as our, that's our core primary burning desire, is just to be in his presence, then all the knowledge that we can bring isn't going to get us anywhere. In fact, I've known people who know a whole lot about the Bible. They don't seem to have been shaped by it at all. Don't seem to have been shaped by the one who wrote it. Don't have anything in their heart that wants to be obedient. They just want to know. They just want to know. And so I, I wonder, if you were in Eden, what would your anxiety be? If you had to put yourself in that place, is it money? Is it not having enough money? And you're just trying to get more and more and more? Because that number can always get bigger. We can always add a little bit more. And we can always find something good to spend it on. And so money just becomes this kind of endless cycle where we're trying to get more and more and more. And it's there to meet our needs. But all of a sudden, our needs get bigger and our needs get bigger and our needs get bigger. And, it, and money just causes us more and more anxiety because we need to get more and then we got to deal with it and I can't lose it. And it just goes on and on and on. 
Maybe your anxiety is... I was talking to some people today, who just, or not today, this week, who just struggled holding to their boundaries in relationships. They let people walk all over them. And the sense was that if I let somebody, they knew this about themselves. They were the ones saying this, right? <laughs> this wasn't just my interpretation. If I don't let somebody walk all over me, then I'm not going to, they'll leave me, right? If I, don't, if I don't, if I actually hold to those boundaries that I know are healthy, I know are good, then they're going to leave. I've got to be a doormat in order to keep people close. That's a tough place to be in. That'll tear you up. That will tear you up. Jesus gives these people who come to seek him something else. He gives them more than a meal. Although he does give them a meal. He says, I know you've come looking for manna in the wilderness. I know you've crossed the sea just like Israel crossed the Red Sea and now you're here and you're demanding of me this thing that Moses gave to the Israelites. But in fact, it wasn't Moses who gave it. It was the Father who gave it. The Father who is the source of life. So he says, yeah, I'm going to give you bread. I'm going to give you this gift. But the gift is me. The gift is me. And it's kind of wonderful and amazing here. What Jesus does is he takes this thing that's been perverted by our sin. He takes this thing that's been broken by our sin. He takes bread. It's a normal, everyday thing. It's what people have eaten for centuries and millennia. Cultures make different breads, dedicated to certain breads. And he takes that normal, everyday thing that is a part of so many households, it's in everybody's cupboard, that shows up on everybody's table, absolutely just an average thing that we only come to by the sweat of our brow. That we go out and we have to plant, and I'm thinking, you know, this is a little bit before our time. Think back a couple generations. But we got to go plant seed and harvest the wheat and mill it and crush it down and make it into flour and learn how to add the right ingredients and press it and knead it and all of this kind of stuff and bake it just right so that we can have the bread that we're ready to eat at our table. And Jesus takes that everyday thing that takes all of this labor, that takes all of this sweat, that takes all of this effort and energy, and he redeems it. He redeems it. He doesn't give them fruit, something you just pick and eat. He gives them bread. Redeeming their labor. Undoing, in some sense, the curse of Genesis 3. He says, exactly where you received the curse of your disobedience, that's where I'm going to show up and give you the life that you really crave. Exactly where you reached out and ate as a way of rebelling against God, I'm going to give you a way to reach out and eat as a way of coming to God. Just as you stuck out your hands to pick and grab, I'm going to give you an opportunity to place out your hands in order to receive. 
See, Jesus takes all of this stuff that we've done ugly and wrong and inside out, and he flips it back the way it's meant to be. He takes everything that's broken and he puts it right, but he transforms it and redeems it so that it's new even though it's the same. The posture that the Lord wants to establish in these crowds, the posture, the attitude that the Lord wants to establish in us is the same. Receptivity, patience, openness to all that God calls us to. Ultimately, it's to destroy, to pull the rug out from under that anxiety, that fear. And really, the most powerful tool for doing that is how Cody so beautifully titled this sermon series, Living, comma, Gratefully. And then I want to ask, is it gratitude that determines what you do? Does gratitude order action, your actions? Do you do what you do throughout the day gratefully? Grateful for the opportunity to work even though it's a, maybe a bad day? Grateful that you have a family even if they're just running off and being a bunch of chuckle butts? Grateful that you've got a community and a group of people who care about you, even if they're not calling like they probably ought to. Grateful if you have a place to serve, even though you haven't had time this week to get there and do it. Do we live with that kind of gratitude to receive this gift? Or do we try to grasp at Christ to make him meet our needs? Jesus Make me feel better. I feel bad. Make me feel better. What drives our actions? Is it gratitude? Is it friendship? Is it joy? I want to push it one step further here. Something I've been thinking about a lot, wrestling with. Because I really am convinced that gratitude and friendship and joy, that these things ought to be right at the center of who we are as Christians. And that if they're not, then we have something to confess. We, we have something to say, something's not right, and I may not know how to fix it, but I need to at least admit that something is not right and recognize that the Lord has more work to do in me. So I want you to do a quick thought experiment with me. In your mind, remove everything that you have. Take away your job. You don't have that to go to anymore. Take away your retirement account, your savings, and your wallet got lost and shredded, so that's toast. The bank possesses your car, your house. You're left with the clothes on your back. Here's the question. Do your friends, does your family, 
All right, do you have a place to sleep tonight? Now, I know that some of you are in the place of actually supporting and giving other people a place to sleep, and that's, that's good. I'm grateful for that. But if that happens, does somebody take you in? And here's the deeper challenge for me. Is our church the kind of place that can receive people who are in that situation? Has this church been so radically changed by Jesus, the bread of life, that it reflects and carries into the world this vision of transformative gratitude? That we could and would receive somebody simply because they're the image of God and not because they have anything to offer us. And here's what I'm trying to get at with that, is that when we live lives that are so full of joy, that are so full of gratitude, that are so full of investment into one another's lives, that we've been taken and harvested and pressed and broken and pushed into each other's life, just like the bread of life, even baked in the oven of suffering together, where we've done hard work together, when we are that kind of church, it's not a huge step to think that we would receive one another into our homes. And I'll be honest, I don't know how to get us to that place. (laughs) But I'm convinced that that's the kind of place that the church ought to be. That's what we ought to be shooting for as Christians, where we come to desire not just the bread that satisfies our bellies, but we come to desire a higher bread. Not just the bread of sustenance, but the bread of eternal life, which is Jesus himself. And so as we come to the table this morning, I'm not going to ask you to add anything to your life. Um, But I'm going to ask you to reflect on something, which is what has distracted you this week? What's pulled you off course? What has caused you to be anxious or fearful or worried What's the thing that you've done, that habit that you've gone to, that you go to because you don't want to be still. You don't want to be quiet. You don't want to think about that thing, capital T. And as we come to the table, can we pray and hope and trust that the Lord who is good has every resource necessary? That if he can feed 5,000, if he can walk on the water, then he can deal with our fear. Let's place our hope and our trust in him this morning. Pastor Cody, would you come and lead us in the table?